Well, good morning. We are grateful that you are here. It seems like our numbers are down just a little bit this morning, but as we've said time and time again here, it seems like we'll fluctuate a little bit during the winter. We encourage you to stay home if you don't feel well uh, during this time, certainly, but we're thankful for those of you who are here in person, and we're certainly thankful to all those who are watching and joining in online. I hope that you have a, a copy of your bulletin in front of you. You know, we try each week to put an outline in there that will take you through the lesson. I usually uh, struggle just a little bit and, you know, spend a little bit of time making sure that it's something that will encourage you. You know, even Wednesday night, uh, someone made a, a comment to me about, you know, how they had struggled a little bit in class, you know, maybe were, was dozing just a little bit. And I said, hey, I get it. You know, there was a time when I was younger and even in high school age where, you know, I, I didn't give as much attention as I should have to, to biblical things maybe. And I would doze and sleep. I get that. As I got a little older, I went through a time where I loved to take notes and did better at taking notes through the sermon. So I can appreciate that. And I want to give you something each week that you can use to to make notes and to keep up. I, of course, knowing that as I went along that I might want to be a preacher one day would keep a shoebox full of all those notes maybe for some outlines and lessons to use later. So maybe you stick some of these aside so you've got some information, maybe a lesson that, that sort of is uh, encouraging to you. But, but I hope that you can take these and use them. But, you know, there's always a few in each bunch. And, and last week we had a couple of, of our members who, you know, like to give the preacher a hard time and said, you know, we're a little tired of the blanks. Maybe we could get a, like a crossword puzzle in there, you know, from time to time. And I said, well, I guess, you know, maybe we could try that. We, we could consider that, I guess, you know. Uh, but unfortunately for you all today, though, it's kind of the same thing what used to happen in school, you may recall. Uh, sometimes the whole class would get punished for just a few that would make a, a remark like that. So this morning, I'm proud to tell you that we're going to actually have a quiz. Uh, it's going to be quiz time. So yes, yeah, some of you are going to have to suffer uh, because of just the comments of, of a few there. And so we're going to have begin this morning with a quiz. And so I've given you blanks. If you have uh, your outline in front of you there, it's just 12 questions. We're going to try to go through it as quickly as we can. Heath, this thing's not working. I don't know if you can unplug that thing from the side of the monitor there, and we'll try that. Uh, I think Charles replaced the batteries here, but I'm going, to, I'm going to need to try to use this as we go through this quiz. So I, I apologize. Hopefully it won't be uh, too bad for you, but it is going to be quiz time. The quiz is, how much do you know about Christmas? I meant to put that in quotation marks, but, but let's see how you can do, all right? So we're going to begin, first of all, with an easy one. The name of the mother of Jesus was Martha, Mary, Eve, or Deborah. Now, you can fill in your blanks as you go along. Some of you are sitting next to some people that you may want to cover up your paper. I see Jerry Renfro in it up by himself. He's probably okay. And Tom Levi, some of these guys, you may not want to let them cheat off of you. But, but, uh, but you can fill yours in. There's, you don't have to turn it back in when you leave. All right? And so it's just a little bit of a quiz. So most of us know the answer to this one, it, of course, is Mary. We think about Matthew chapter 1 in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Most of the world knows that one. Mary was the mother of Jesus. Number two, Jesus was born in what town? Was it Naz or, excuse me, Jer Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethlehem, or we'll toss in a free one there for you, New York. 
Again, most of us are familiar with this. We know the story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, there are some of our religious friends who claim that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. And they sort of try to to say, well, Jerusalem was near Bethlehem. And and they talk about these kinds of things. But we know Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1 again says, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And so the Bible says pretty plainly that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Question number 3. Why didn't Joseph and Mary stay at the inn? Was it because it was too expensive? There was no inn. There was no room or none of the above. If you recall from the story, there was no room. And we try to give you the passages as we think about these things. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, not too tough to, to begin with here. Number four, how did Joseph and Mary get to Bethlehem? Was it on a colt? Was it that Mary rode a donkey and Joseph walked? Was it a wagon? Or was it that the Bible does not say? We may get a little tougher as we go along here. I want you to think about how much you really know. The answer to this question is, D, the Bible does not actually say. Now, we don't know. Some suppose that she wrote something since she was so far along in her pregnancy. The reason that this question becomes a little more interesting is probably because of all the pictures that you've seen. Some that you may have even seen on the front of a card, a Christmas card that you've bought before where Mary is sitting on a donkey and then Joseph is standing beside her. And it's certainly possible that she rode and he walked. That might make sense. But the truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't actually tell us how they got to Bethlehem. Number five, what animals does the Bible say were housed in the stable? Cows, donkeys, and sheep, lions, tigers, and bears, goats, sheep, and cows, or the Bible doesn't say. Again, you begin to see the way we're going here. You might have to be careful what you think of when you think of what you've usually seen versus what the Bible actually says. And the answer to this question is, again, D, the Bible doesn't say, and that's simply it. The Bible doesn't say. There's nothing wrong necessarily with people picturing Jesus or picturing the birth of Jesus, and as they pictured, maybe there were animals gathered around the family. I mean, it might have been possible. They might have been in the area, but once again, the Bible doesn't actually say what animals were housed in the stable. Number six. From what area were the three kings that visited Jesus? Were they from the west, the east, the orient, or D, none of the above? And I have to confess that as you're writing down your answer there, yes, we are going to kind of increase in difficulty here. And the answer is none of the above. And you say, well, wait a minute. I know what the scripture says, but this is maybe it says this is not a trick question, but maybe I was being a little facetious there. Maybe it is a bit of a trick question. The Bible only talks about the wise men or the magi coming to see Jesus. The Bible never actually describes them as kings. It's just the song that we are very familiar with. We three kings of Orient are. Matthew chapter 2 again in verse number 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, we've already talked about that, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So yes, east was one of those uh, answers, and east is true, but not necessarily that they were kings. Number 7, what sign were the shepherds told to look for by the angel, a lion and a sheep together in peace, a tree with a star on top, a star over Bethlehem, or D, none of the above. 
Think back to your Bible knowledge and think back to what you know of these stories. And the answer here is D, none of the above. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 12. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye, what's the sign? To those shepherds. The sign was, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And if you recall Luke 2 there, they then discuss amongst themselves and say, let's go to this place, this city of David. And when they do, they find the sign, but the sign at this particular junction junction in Luke chapter 2 was the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Number 8, with what words did the heavenly host of angels praise God? Was it joy to the world, the Lord is come, glory, glory, hallelujah, king of kings and lord of lords, or glory to God in the highest? What were the words that the heavenly host of angels used to praise God? And the answer here is glory to God in the highest. Luke chapter 2, a few verses later from where we just were, verse number 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The other songs, some of which were listed there on our answers, were written long after Christ died, and glory to God was not, of course, in the modern tune that we sometimes sing. So we're not going to change that, but but certainly the angels of the host proclaim glory to God in the highest. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 14. Number 9, how many wise men came to see Jesus? Some of you may see this trick question coming. Was it one, two, three... Or the Bible doesn't say. Some of you who have heard lessons like this before know the answer to this one is that the Bible doesn't actually say. Now, there were more than one, even though no one knows exactly how many they were. Some suppose that there were three because there were three gifts, but that's a guess. It's possible. Is it possible that maybe they decided to to buddy up, two would go in together, so there were six instead of three to, to bring these gifts? Well, that's possible. You know, Don and I might be wise men. Don and Carl and I would be wise men. Don and Carl and, and Charles and I would be wise men. So we really don't know. Matthew 2, 1 again, we've already talked about it. But behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. It's common to think that there were three and there very well might have been. But the truth is, no one knows. The Bible doesn't actually say. Number 10, the wise men met Jesus in a what? In a manger, in a castle, in a stable or in a house. Now you have to really know the text or have really studied these maybe even recently to recall this particular answer because the correct answer is actually in a house. Now don't worry, we're going to go back to the Bible, but Matthew chapter 2, this time verse 11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And continuing on with just the previous question, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So those three things are mentioned, but it does say at the beginning that we often skip over that they were coming to the house. Number 11, who told Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem? Was it A, an angel? B, Caesar Augustus? C, Herod? Or D, no one told them to go? You didn't think I was going to let you off that easy. I, again, you don't have to turn them in, but it's, we're going to see what you know. The answer to the question 11 is Caesar Augustus. Once again, from the text, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and then 3 and 4. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth 
into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went where he was told to go by Caesar Augustus. All right, we'll get it over with here. Number 12, according to the Bible, the little drummer boy met Jesus when Jesus was in the manger at a house when Jesus was about two years old or D, none of the above. And again, some of these questions or answers here, our choices are familiar, but the answer is, as many of them have, be, has, have been, D, none of the above. The story of the little drummer boy meeting Jesus, as great as you may enjoy that song or renditions of that song, is not in the Bible. Now, I promise you we wouldn't take these up, so don't crumple them up. If you missed them all, it's okay. Hopefully you got at least one or two. I want you to finish answering the questions and the outline that we have, but one more. I got a bonus for you. Bonus question. December 25th has been celebrated as Christmas since the Bible was written. You got a, a coin toss, 50, 50 shot at it. True or false? December 25th has been celebrated as Christmas since the Bible was written. And the answer, of course, is that's false. When we think about what the Bible actually says, that's not true. Although the Bible talks about the birth of Jesus, it never uses the word Christmas. And as best we know, the earliest Christians did not celebrate Christmas. Later, several dates were observed. You can, some of you have done the history possibly before. Um, some of it, later, several different dates were observed by Christians, but it wasn't until about the 4th century, around the years 300, that December 25th was finally settled on as the common day of celebration. The fact is that no one really knows when Jesus was born. And that's just the facts of the case. And when we think about looking at the Bible and, and kind of continue this lesson and extrapolate a little bit further out, that's what we're talking about. You see, Christmas can be a great holiday to enjoy with family. You may take this idea or these questions and say, well, he must not like Christmas. No, I enjoy Christmas. If you listen to my family, they'll tell you I'm a Scrooge. Well, that's simply because I don't want to put the Christmas tree up in July. You know, my family believes July 4th passes and we should put the Christmas tree up on July 5th. So I say my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, you know, uh, so we don't just skip right over it. And that's a joke that many people uh, laugh about and enjoy. But I'm really not a Scrooge. I enjoy the season. I enjoy the giving of gifts and receiving of gifts. I enjoy the time spent with family. We do lots of fun things in our house and with our kids during the, the Christmas time. So it's certainly meant to be a time that is spent with family. And in a year where we're going to struggle with that, some of you probably have already canceled your plans and, and several of us have missed out on Thanksgiving. We're going to be sad about that because we're missing out on our family time. But while Christmas can be a great holiday to enjoy with our family, we want to think this morning the rest of our lesson about the fact that nothing, no holiday, even no family time, we know the Bible promotes the idea, even no time with family can or should take the place of biblical Truth. We may say this a few times, but you might think, preacher, it's just the Christmas, it's just the season, it's just the holiday. Why would you, you talk about this? No, I enjoy that part. But as a Christian trying to follow after God, I also believe in following the truth of His words. And the truth of His word at, at all costs among all things. And so that's what we really want to consider as we think about even these questions that we've asked and answered this morning. You see, the truth should be for us that we cannot... And we should not let truth take a back seat to tradition. There are some traditions that are 100% absolutely and without a doubt harmless. 
Some of the things that we do around this time, maybe you go get a tree with your family. Maybe, again, it's the buying of gifts or, or it's something. You know, we, our kids, we enjoy watching the movies, and so we have certain nights that we do things like that. And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of traditions and just enjoying that time. But we have to be careful when it comes to truth that we don't take our traditions and promote them above all other things. And once again, we're not going to just let that slide because the preacher said so. Let's think about what the Bible has to say for just a few moments. I told you, or the title of your lesson says, Myths Regarding the Birth of Jesus. Is that a big deal? Is that something that we should worry about? Well, let's consider for a few moments together some implications of some of these myths. What happens when truth takes a back seat to tradition? Well, the first passage that we look at is Matthew chapter 15. We look first at verses 8 and 9. It's a quotation that Jesus makes from Isaiah and one that you're no doubt familiar with. Jesus says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isaiah had said once before, and Jesus is now repeating again, that there are people, both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day, and yes, we might even say 2020, who would take the commandments of men, their traditions, and elevate them and make them doctrine. Put them above anything else that the Bible has to say. You go backward just a few moments ago or from Matthew 15, and who is Jesus talking about? In this particular context, we see that some of the people have stopped him some of the scribes and Pharisees, and they ask him this question. Why do your disciples transgress, notice what it says, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And notice the question. Jesus, so, so many times the master teacher answers a question with a question. And he says, why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your, tra- because of your tradition? You see, Jesus takes this question and asks them, why is it that you are putting these traditions above the commandments of God? And of course, verses 2 through 6 then lead into verses 8 and 9 where he makes that quotation from Isaiah. Do you know people who transgress the commandments of God because of their traditions? If we're not careful, then we would do that. You see, some of the questions a few moments ago were, were easy. We know those. Some of the questions were a little harder. And you think, well, what's the big deal? We must be careful that we're not transgressing the commandments of God because of the traditions of men. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 5, Paul is writing to some of the Judaizing teachers there. If you recall who these Judaizing teachers were, it's a phrase that we use sometimes to describe a group of people. But it's, it's those who would be teaching people and trying to teach Christians that they need to go back and hold to some of the law of Moses. These Judaizing teachers were teaching that these people should be circumcised. They were holding them to circumcision. And they were holding them to other parts of the law of Moses. And Jesus says, or excuse me, Paul says in Galatians 2, 5, And to whom these false teachers, these Judaizing teachers, we did not yield submission. Notice what it says. And depending on the version you have, it may look a little different. Even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Even for an hour? Is he talking about time? Is he talking about the idea that, that he would yield the floor maybe for an hour and have an hour to speak? No, Paul's putting forth the idea that those who would teach these false things, he's not even going to give them a minute. He's not even going to give them a second 
Not even for an hour will I let them have the floor to teach their false ideas, to try to hold you Christians to things that are not in the Word of God, the way that God would have us to live. I'm not going to give them a second. Do we stand that same way for truth today? Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Is that the way we feel about the Word of God and about truth? I hope it is. I hope that's the way that you treat your Bible that you treat the Word of God, it's important. It's important that we hold firm to these truths. And in a world, it's frustrating, all right? Like, you're probably like many of us. We get on social media, we watch the news, and it's frustrating because there are so many crazy things in the world. And I, I don't want to get into to all of those things, but I, I even saw one yesterday. Some of you might have caught it. There were a couple of pop stars, a couple of musicians who were caught up in one thing, and one, uh, one prefers to be called they and them instead of he or she. And we know those, this idea of, of gender and that kind of thing. And, and so he, he, he prefers, he was a he, to be called they and them. And, and this other musician calls him a he. And then he had to apologize because he didn't call him they. And those kinds of things sound crazy to us from time to time. But what the idea is, <coughs> pardon me, the basic idea is, is that we've taken truth and we've watered it down and allowed the commandments of men, the traditions of men to take hold and the word of God to take a back seat. It's very hard in today's world to, to stand up. It's very hard to be heard, but we have to do our best to try because the implication of believing even something as simple as how many wise men there were is that truth begins to take a back seat to, to, to tradition. Maybe here's some other questions that you've been faced with before. Was Mary Magdalene a prostitute? Uh, there's at least one author who's made lots of money. It helped Tom Hanks make a probably billion-dollar movie about the idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and, and the implications of the birth of Jesus and all these things. Is that true? Well, if anyone turns to the Bible, they're not going to find an ounce of proof. But certainly it made lots of money for some people who wanted to then elevate that and many other people who then believe it. What about the idea that Jonah prayed three days and nights in the belly of the whale? You can write down maybe and go back and look at your own time, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17 through chapter 2 and verse 1. There's some truth sprinkled in that statement, but there's some untruths sprinkled in that statement as well. What about number three? If you've never heard the gospel, you'll be okay. Have you ever read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8? It's scary. It's not something we enjoy reading. But it doesn't promote the idea that whatever you believe is okay. And even if you've never set foot in a church building, you're okay. If you don't know the gospel, you'll be okay. Those are traditions. Those are commandments of men. And when people begin to promote those things, then we have a problem. Because truth takes a backseat to tradition. And if we're not careful, then many people begin to believe false ideas. And so I challenge you just to think for a moment. You say, it's not a big deal about some of those questions we answered earlier. Maybe in some ways, but maybe in some way we need to understand, even in this time of year, taking a stand for the truth of God's Word. The truth of the matter is, when it comes to these questions and the things we've talked about, is we are not told to celebrate Jesus' birth. Notice, it's not that we're not told to care about it. We should care about it. Both Matthew and Luke record for us the things regarding the birth of Jesus. It is a great story. Don't think that we don't care about it. That it's just something that's just tossed to the side. Now, I wish we had the time and the ability, and I guess we could make time and ability, to go through every story, every single verse of the account of the life of Jesus. From his birth and to his death is a great and powerful study to think about every single interaction that he had. Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking about the birth 
of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with even enjoying it. And again, thinking about the occasion and the story that's told there. But we're not told to commemorate it, to celebrate it, the same way that we are told to commemorate and to think about the death of Jesus. It's not that his birth is not important, but when we think about what we do, when we think about authority, which is usually the way this lesson goes, and, and because we're not really harping on it, don't think that it doesn't matter, but when we think about the authority of what we're told to do, we're told each first day of the week to think about the death of Jesus. We're told to think about, in a sense, his birth, but not necessarily to celebrate it, and certainly not only once a year, and certainly not only certain one, once one month a year. Does that mean that it's wrong to sing the song Joy to the World during the month of December? Absolutely not. Just like it's not wrong to sing it in the month of February or the month of March or April or, or any month we want to, want to list. But the truth is, when we're considering truth, we're not told to celebrate the birth of Jesus. There is danger in following someone else. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. Uh, Peter essentially says that there were false teachers, false prophets who were among the Old Testament Jews. So there will be false prophets among you, he says. And if Peter could shout through the ages to us, yes, there will be false prophets among you who will do their best to deceive you. And so we must be on the lookout. Paul would write to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed, listening to deceiving spirits and to the doctrine of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Notice, what are they saying? These particular ones that Paul is talking about, what are they saying? They are saying that they would forbid to marry and then commanding to abstain from meat. From foods which God created. Notice he's talk, they're talking about marriage and meat. But what does Paul say about marriage and meat? He doesn't say you have to get married. He doesn't say you have to eat meat. But he does say that marriage and meat were created by God to be received with thanksgiving by all those who do two things. Believe and know the truth. Do you know the truth? Do you believe? You ever know anyone that teaches or commands priests, so-called priests, to not marry? That kind of sounds like a problem here with what Paul tells Timothy. Paul says that marriage and meat were both created by God to be received with thanksgiving for all those who believe and know the truth. It's not commanded that you marry. It's not commanded that you eat meat. But it is understood that those things were created by God for good. And those who would then command or hold someone to these traditions forbidding to marry and to not and abstain from foods or meat, they're in the wrong. There are those, those, that, those are the people who would, you would be in danger in following. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 to talk to Timothy again and says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the description that should encompass our lives. That we would be a worker that we would be diligently studying, trying to be approved of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is that how we are trying to live? Amongst all things, not just our single topic for this morning. And what happens is, when we look at these things, we get a greater understanding of why some people follow error. And hopefully, not only do we have an opportunity to encourage them, 
But at the same time, we have an opportunity to make sure that we don't fall into that same error. That we don't fall into the trap of elevating these traditions and forgetting or ignoring the truth of God's Word. You see, as we think about this time of year and what people are doing and what people are saying and what they're thinking, I would submit to you that I don't think you should call every person down and that you should stop every single person if they mention Jesus during this time of year. We are thankful that people would consider Jesus. I'm thankful that people would stop during this time of year and they might think about Christ for just a moment. But the truth of the matter, once again, is that we really need people to commit to Jesus and not just consider Jesus. Maybe you have an opportunity in the next couple of days when someone mentions the idea of Christ to talk to them, to encourage them. And again, I'm not saying that you become, uh, that you accost them, that you become argumentative, that you say, well, my preacher says it's not, you shouldn't talk about Jesus in December. I'm not suggesting you do that. But might you, with a kind word, encourage someone to not just consider Jesus and not just consider him in the month of December, but to fully commit to him? Might this be a door that you could talk to someone and invite them? You can invite them in December. You can invite them in January. You could talk to them again after a month or two goes by and encourage them again to consider Jesus again and fully commit to him. You see, some people are going to say, Preacher, it's Christmas. It's not that big a deal. Why are we talking about these things? But friends, I would suggest to you that anytime we are promoting things that are not found in the Bible, that are not, anytime that we do not teach or that we promote things that do not teach the truth, that are traditions, that we be very careful. Not only that we not believe those things, but that we share the truth with others as opposed to simply traditions. I'm thankful for folks who consider Jesus. I'm thankful that you do as well. But may we think about committing to him fully, not during one particular holiday or month, but during all of our lives. And as we conclude our lesson this morning, that's exactly what we're asking you to do. There may even be folks who are joining us on our live stream. We would ask you as well. If you have any questions about fully committing to Jesus, we would be encouraged to study those things with you. That's what's most important. Sure, this season is great and that some folks think about him, but are you fully committed? Are you a child of God? Have you been washed in the blood? If you are here this morning and you have not, we would gladly be singing to encourage you that you would come forward maybe to the front here and one of our elders would greet you, that you would make that commitment, that you would name the name of Jesus as the Son of the living God, that you be baptized for the remission of your sins and then be added to the church, that you can then begin to live faithfully. It's a great and wondrous occasion, not only this day, but any day for anyone who would make that great commitment. Maybe you're here, but you've struggled to remain faithful. In times past, you've committed to Christ, but as many folks do, they sort of wander away. Maybe there's sin in your life that you have turned your back and that has separated you from God. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. You see, this day is as good as any other. This month is truly as good as any other. If you need to become a Christian, if you want to come back to him, if you need the prayers of this congregation, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.